Welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. It is a uh, uh, a delightful Friday morning in Bearcat land as the Cincinnati Bearcats were able to escape from Tulsa with another thrilling win. Those people in Oklahoma have to hate see they have to hate red and black. Like they just have to hate the colors in general. <laughs> Everything yeah. about it. Uh, the last time Cincinnati was in Tulsa. It was Troy Copain uh, banging in a, a deep jumper to end the game. This time, uh, Kane Broom sends it to overtime with, a, what, a toenail on the three-point line, or else it would have been a win in regulation. Jaron Cumberland does work in overtime. Cincinnati escapes with a 70-65 win. We have got a lot to talk about on that front. We'll also take a look uh, at Saturday night's uh, white death opponent as the Yukon Huskies come to town. But first, would like to remind everybody about our friends at 513shirts.com. That's where you can get your Bearcat Journal gear. Great hats for the winner. We've also got a, uh, a stretch fit, new era Bearcat Journal hat. we got the trucker hat. And I know Berg is a big fan of the trucker hat. We've got hoodies, t-shirts, Red Helms merch. Uh, and we're we're working on maybe some new stuff for basketball season and uh, a lot of good stuff. So go to 513shirts.com, free shipping on orders over $55. Go to Partners in the drop-down. You will see Bearcat Journal. That is where you can go to 513shirts.com and get your gear and support Bearcat Journal. Berg, that was, uh, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a lot to to handle. You you had um, a, a pretty strong first half until the last three minutes, where Tulsa was able to uh, to close the deficit at halftime to two, and then in the second half, honestly, dude, for like for about seven minutes there, I just laughed because they didn't miss. They literally did not miss from three point range. They ended up going nine of eleven in the second half from three, which is I didn't laugh. I wasn't laughing. I, I mean, I was, I, I was cussing and waking up my baby I, and it's, pissing my wife off. For me, it's kind of a defense mechanism where I just laugh. Like, are you kidding me now? And we'll get into this. Uh, defensively, they are not where they need to be. Um, their rotations are not great right now. Um, I think they still move their feet a little bit slow on straight line drives, uh, which is resulting in sending teams, the the opponent to the free throw line far too much. Um, but then out of nowhere, came broom came to life. He scored the final 14 Cincinnati points, sent the game, the 14, the final 14 points of regulation sent the game to overtime. Cincinnati controlled overtime, and I, I I did I I did let out a loud um, exclamation. Uh, I can't say on air what exactly I said, but the uh, the the only real outburst from me and a lot of you. I mean, Trev's my guy. Everybody knows this. When Jaron drives the lane, passes to the corner. And Trevor Moore bangs in his third three of the game to give him a four-point cushion in overtime. Uh, my daughter came upstairs and, and looked at me and said, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that's I was, about as serious as I've been all night, honey. <laughs> that was that, – I, I did some stuff too, and that was 
it was I had to mouth most of it or I was really whispering it as I was I mean that game like I mentioned in my post game it, it brought the fan back I mean it just it just did it was if you care at all about Cincinnati basketball and I'm trying to be media and all that stuff but it just there were so many elements to that game the frustration and then the exuberant the exuberance of seeing how that game unfolded down the stretch and seeing Kane finally break out of it. And then, yeah, Trevor hitting that huge shot was pretty much the dagger. And yeah, I, I did, I did the old, like I pushed my wife while she was milking her breast. For the, she was pumping. Um, <laughs> Too much yeah, information, it, Berg. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, that's how we feed the baby. She's nine months old. She's uh, but yeah, so it was, like I said, I woke the baby up with uh, getting frustrated, but then I, I, I dialed it back. And it was, it was Kane Broom saving the day once again. This is, this is the second road win for Cincinnati, and you can make the argument that they don't win either of those games without Kane's production. In the, the first game at UNLV on December 1st, J- Jaron Cumberland was a no-show. He only scored three points, and Kane made, made seven baskets, had 14 points, and, and, and in, a, in a close game, I mean, that was, that was how UC was able to get to that 65 mark and, and, and escape that one. So – He's he's proving that he needs to be on the floor in road games. Yeah, especially for a team that struggles to score in, in, in road games. Now, it took him a while to get there. <laughs> he didn't score in the first half. And it, we, we have to mention uh, the team battling the flu. Uh, Justin Jennifer played 13 minutes, um, had a turnover, so you know he was near death. <laughs> Trey Scott was battling the flu, 12 points, 9 rebounds uh, in 31 minutes. For him, that's unbelievable. Uh, Nizir Brooks was battling the flu. Um, not a great game for him, but he did manage three blocks and three steals. Uh, he only took three shots, two points, uh, four rebounds. But the, the three blocks, including one in overtime, also three steals uh, in 23 minutes. Those three guys... Really gutted it out. I mean, Jennifer, you could tell he just had nothing. Yeah, and you always call him. You always call him Nazir Brooks. I thought it was Nasir. Whatever, Nasir, Nazir. You, you're pronouncing it how, how it's spelled, but that's yeah. not how it's actually. Well, my brain works in phonetics. Okay, all right, got it. If, if got you sure. want me to pronounce it right, spell it right. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, but just a gutty performance. I mean, that we talked about this. We, we didn't do a podcast uh, before the game. One, because I was sick um, and missed McMedia, which I never miss a media opportunity. But I, I was in bad shape for a couple days. Uh, I'm finally on the other side. But uh, the general, when we talked about it, Berg, the thought process between the two of us was the real time that we want to talk is – after the Tulsa game, because I don't think we would have had a whole lot to say other than the ECU loss was awful. And the only way that you can get back on track is to win this road game at Tulsa, because if you lose on the road to ECU and Tulsa, the other seven conference road games, I'm penciling in a loss at that point. Yeah, it really was. Mick said watershed after the game and the team grew up and it was just the things come together that needed to come together with a, a team that was not at full strength. And it was, it, 
it could have been the difference between the NCAA and the NIT. I mean, you, you don't know. I mean, you could. It, it's only January the 11th, so there's. I mean, there's still two full months left of the season. But just looking big picture, and you go down the road, and you're sitting there on, on conference tournament week, and you're like, man, that 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 could have been it, right? That was it right there. So just because, like you said, there's so many more tough games to come. I mean, even every every road game the rest of the way is going to be probably harder than both of those games. And if you lose both of those, I mean, talk about an uphill battle. You're, you're asking this team, because I feel like here, here's my, my thought on this. And I, you may disagree because you, you don't, do. you, you don't overreact on this stuff, but I just feel like, listen, if you have a loss on the road to East Carolina, who, who is probably likely to win maybe one or two more conference games the rest of the year. I mean, I know they played well last night, but um, they just, they're just so young. So, that makes me say that I feel like UC needs to finish over 500 on the road in conference play. I think they need to go five and four because then, because if you're, if you're under 500 on the road and you lost to East Carolina committee, ain't going to like that. So if you lose last night, now all of a sudden you're Oh, and two, you're, you're asking them to go five, five and, two and two against the, the seven way. toughest teams in the conference. Right. So now, now four and three, can get it done and that means you can lose to Houston you could lose I mean Temple I'm sorry I just I don't see how that's going to happen and you, you know how UC plays there um, I'm pens I'm I'm panning that in as a loss so so other than that you're going to have you can only have I mean you, you know you have a little more you have a little more leeway now to lose you know UCF is going to be that's that's another one that's I mean good luck with that um and then I mean Houston, we know so, what UCF is going to be 48 to 48 with four minutes left yeah it's just they have they have they have Aubrey Dawkins now, which makes them even tougher because even because last year, like when UC was able to beat them forty nine thirty eight or whatever that was, like they just didn't have that that wing score, and now they do. So it's just going to be, you know. But but the the point being, now that you swing that by a game, you, you know five and four versus versus uh, six and three is just it's a it's a, you know th- that way they're they're not playing with as much fire now, and they can they can take a breath and. And the games aren't going to be like as dire straits when they're playing them. But this is so that's that's what I'm saying is like that's how much it could swing the whole season. And Kane was to the rescue. I mean, really, you know, you I mean, the second half, they the other teams banging in three after three after three after three. And the only one who was providing offense was Broom, who had the 16. And he also had, I think, three or maybe four assists. So they had 30 total points in that second 20 minutes. He he basically created what 80 85% of it so he was he potentially saved their their you know their their tournament bid now look they could obviously they could lose to south florida next week i mean there's a number of things that can happen but just in the, in the moment in the instant analysis the next morning you i mean that just looking big picture that could be huge absolutely i Sorry, I had to get a yawn in. I, I sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I'll sleep, have a few of those. Sleeping after games like that is not my strong suit. <laughs> not my strong suit at all. And then I had WLW blowing me up this morning to come on and talk about Zach Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, let me I, let me let me. Okay. While while you're catching your your go ahead. breath there, yeah. So. I don't want to get too deep into this because I think I'm going to have something for you next week leading up to the next road game about this. I don't want to go too in-depth with all the numbers and stuff. But the bottom line is this. Mick Cronin is faced with a difficult decision on, in road games the rest of the year because, because Justin Jennifer does not shoot the ball well on the road. 
he is his three point percentage at home versus on the road is 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 I'll just say it. He's twenty two percent on the road. He's forty nine percent at home, and so in these games, Mick has always favored sound defense and low turnovers to try to win on the road. And so now he's faced with the decision of, listen, Kane gets you buckets and yeah, he'll make a mistake or two on, on defense and he'll, he'll dribble one off his foot here and there, but he has the potential to get you 10, 12 points in a row when you need answers. I mean, that's, that, that last night they don't win that game without answers and Cumberland was just, he wasn't quite there. He didn't quite have it. Until overtime. He, until overtime. But he, he was very erratic in that, in that for, first 40 minutes. And so coming down the stretch, if, if Jennifer had been on the floor, is he able to create enough points for you? Because you had to keep scoring. They just kept hitting threes. And so Kane was the, was, was the, was the saving grace. And so now you look at that's happened twice. You, look, you go back to, let's say, the Mississippi State game, for example, when, you know, down the stretch, Mississippi State kept hitting shots and UC could not answer. And in that game, Kane only plays 10 minutes. So it's it's a it's a difficult uh, line to toe. I don't know if that's the, the correct phrase for, for Mick here, because this is it's, it's he's going to have to potentially go against, um, you know, how he normally operates on the road. And. and he either he will or he won't. I'm not sure. Last night he was his hand was forced. He had no choice. Right. But just let's looking forward at some of these teams. Like I was watching Wichita State at home against Temple, and they can get going and score points. They have multiple ways to score. Marcus McDuffie is sweet. So SMU they have the best offensive efficiency in the league. I mean, think about them at home. So you're going to have to have answers. It's gonna it, it's going to be hard to squeeze these teams. And so what does he do? This is this is going to be something that is going to be an ongoing discussion the rest of the season. But I think I don't want to get too deep into the numbers. So like I said, I'll write something about it, but in the, in the aftermath of, of what happened last night, it's, it's, it's relevant. So I just thought that it, I, I'd like to see what you're thinking on that at this point. I mean, I think it's an interesting dilemma. Um, I was exchanging messages with someone last night about it. And, you know, you're looking at, at, at Justin has played really well this year and has earned minutes. Jaron has been Jaron. Keith Williams has been a breakout. And then now you're starting to hopefully see Trevor Moore come around a little bit. And you've got Kane. And you're looking at, at five guys for two or three spots. Depending on, you know, who can play where and whatnot and what have you. Um, distributing those minutes is going to be maybe the biggest task for Mick Cronin throughout the rest of the season, figuring out the right combination for how to maximize all those guys uh, is going to be a challenge. You know, you, you mentioned Kane because Jennifer being sick, but Trevor Moore got a lot more run last night. One, because Keith and Jaron had foul trouble at times. Uh, Keith fouling out and Jaron ending with four. Um, and then with Jennifer out, that forced his hand to play Trevor quite a bit more. 26 minutes for Trevor. Nine points. Three rebounds. Three steals, I believe. Probably probably some more deflections than that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, fact, he was very I'm active. You, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Just And I'll let you keep going. I just was saying, when I made my notes for this podcast, it was the Kane-Jennifer thing, and then it was the, 
okay, now look, Trevor Moore, a floor, is he a floor spacer slash – so all of a sudden, yeah, that's just another thing on his plate. I mean, it's, you know, it's a good problem to have if you have multiple guys that can do stuff, but yeah, anyway, I mean, continue. When you look at it, Jaron's going to play 30, 35 minutes, especially in big games, right? Yes. So now you're looking, what, 85 minutes between the other four, four. guys? Yeah. Five guys. If hey, how about that chase down block by Logan Johnson? Oh my God, that was he. It's like it's like he hasn't played very much lately, so you almost forgot that he was He's a freak. That he, that he could do that because we we saw that in the red black scrimmage, something yeah. similar to that. Well, you that, said the red black scrimmage one was the block of the year, and I think this one was better. Yeah, yeah, it, it's. It's tough. I mean, because he caught one of them, but yeah, the, the, how much ground he covered on that one, and I, I, like the strides he took, and I mean, how do you time that? That he, perfectly. He it timed just, his strides perfectly. If oh you watch, my God. that was that was next level stuff. That was something that that what do you think? Maybe one percent of guards and yeah. college basketball could do. Well, I mean, we used to go crazy when Justin Jackson did those things. Yeah, and he was a six, six seven. Two. Yeah, he yeah. was a six seven forward, <laughs> and and this is a six two point guard with a chase down block with his head at the backboard. Yeah, and he had one in the first game of the year that wasn't a chase down; it was just a drop step off the glass block yeah. on a six five guy. So, yeah, incredible, incredible. So it's 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 very much going to be a challenge for Mick because what we've seen, especially the past five years, especially on the perimeter, like those roles were pretty defined. Yeah. You had Troy, uh, you had Kevin for, for good, bad or other. Uh, and I think Kevin did a lot of good things. He obviously wasn't, you know, a, a huge scoring threat, but he logged a lot of minutes and then you had Jacob and Jaron. Um, you've had a pretty steady, uh, point guard situation with Jennifer and, and Kane the past couple of years. But now you're looking at legitimately, you've got to figure out rotation-wise what works best to maximize all of these guys. And that's not an easy task. No. Well, this was something that was a point of contention last year between Jennifer and Broom, because you, especially in road games, because you just felt like it's just a tough call. Now, last year was, was Kane's first year. So defensively, he was pretty far behind. I, I'm not sure he's – I mean, he's definitely not upper echelon or, or you know, he's probably borderline reliable at this point. Yeah. It's just not – it's just not his – that's just not his strength. I mean, he's an offensive player. But it, it, this is the debate that, that fans go in circles with, and they've been going in circles with since McCrennan's been here and probably even back to the Huggins days at times. But just um, on the road, is it, is it more important to have a guy that's going to be able to get you some buckets or is it better to just not turn the ball over and – and try to be, you know, sound on defense and just, you know, try to get down to the end and make a couple plays and win. Because a guy like Broom can swing, can swing a win or a loss, and you've seen it. I don't, you know, who knows in the Mississippi State game if he gets 25 minutes if they get enough points because, I mean, Mississippi State is a phenomenal team. I mean, they're a better team, a much better team than Tulsa. Huge but, game this weekend, by the way. What's that? Ole Miss at Mississippi State. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. I definitely have to dial that one up. I, I, if Ole Miss could get that win, yeah, then I, I likened it. I'll see if you agree. I likened it back to that, and 
a lot of things are going to go back to that 14-15 season because I think the parallels are doubling by the day. Um, I likened it to the the win at NC State. NC State, yeah. Because you're going there when we got Maybe to the Duke tur- later, yeah, yeah when we got to the the selection that win carried a ton of weight because most everybody was thinking 10 11 seed and they ended up an eight seed and a, a lot of it was on the strength of that win at NC State yeah. uh, even though NC State was only an eight seed themselves that win carried a ton of juice and I, I get you know granted the old Miss win was neutral. But I have a feeling if they keep playing like they've been playing, that could be that that signature win that carries a lot of weight in the selection room. Exactly. I, I, I thought the same thing. And, and if you're listening to this and you're by your computer or you're on your phone, pull up Mississippi's stats. Look at their individual players. The the, the two guys that could not buy a shot against are, UC yeah, are, are killing. killing They're everybody. all well over. They have three guys over 40% from three, and a couple of them are well over 40 so it was a nice timing for the Bearcats that they couldn't make him make shots that day, because uh, they beat Baylor the day before, and I mean Baylor got a big win the other night. So, but yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of ball to be played, but I think you know going back to last night, you're, you're and, and you, I, I made this comparison um, to my buddy Swainy last night. And this is this was this is the same season you were talking about. This is they actually lost this game, but if you think back to that Nebraska road game that went to double overtime, you see was not playing very well, and they they. I think they, they came off getting destroyed by Ole Miss, actually. And in they, the Emerald Coast Classic. Yeah. And they learned that game what it took to win. They didn't win the game. Remember they started, they were down like like 18 to 6, like 12 minutes into the first half. Like it was yeah, like, it was they, awful. but somehow they kept, they, they kept getting stopped. They started getting stops and it was like a close game at half and it was just back and forth. But so they lost that one. But I feel like last night was, um, you know, th- for this group, they figured out, okay, this is the effort we need. This is the attention to detail. Because really, they didn't foul that much last night. They did in the they, first they, half. They, they did. They get 11 free throws, at half, I think, in the first half. And they only got three. But, yeah, you're right. But they they you know, they you dialed that back. I mean, of course, all the, all that uh, Tulsa was doing was shooting threes. Um, although UC did foul them on two of those. So, I guess we can't go too far with this. But but overall, I think they, they, they made, a, made some strides in that area. And then the turnovers. I mean, 12 is still – a hair too much, but it's in 45 minutes of, of play. I mean, it's and, only, um, uh, let me see, only 16% was the turnover yeah. rate. So pretty solid. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. I mean, on the road. It was a, but, it's yeah. overtime. Right. <clears throat> so it's it's a 75-possession game. 12 turnovers in a 75-possession game is pretty good. That's true. Now, th- th- one thing to, to get to, because uh, uh, people were asking me about this and and – you know, when a team makes 16 out of 23 threes against you and and East Carolina makes them and there's been multiple games this year where teams you know got going from deep. And and the way that the way that the Bearcats design their defense is, you know, they'd rather protect the rim than necessarily hug the three point line. Um, and, and if you look at a lot of Tulsa's, you know, so you could you could argue like, God, they were shooting out of their, their mind last night. But a lot of them, they were you know, they were caught. They were locked, They were squared up. Shoulders were squared. Feet were set. And and they just caught it, ready to shoot, and shot them like in rhythm. So it was, there was a couple that were guarded pretty good, but there were some that there were most of them that were like weren't that tough of shots. So obviously they sell they they sold out in that game to, to protect the paint and protect the paint they did. So it was a 0 for eleven on layups. I, I've I've never heard of that. And they only made five twos the whole game. But 
Um, is that something that's an issue um, moving forward, or is it just an anomaly that these teams are, are hitting these shots? Um, I, I I saw quite a bit of poor rotations last night okay. um, where you had a third guy, you know, too close to the action instead of kind of staying between the ball and, and the shooter. Um, the hard part, again, and we talked about this with, with Mississippi State, where it becomes difficult for this defense is when there's a bunch of guys chucking them in. They had six guys make at least two three-pointers. Yeah, that's true. And that makes it, especially with with as aggressive as they are and with the way that, that they rotate and they collapse – uh, and they and they kind of suffocate you right at the rim. You can tag one or two guys, but pretty much everybody that they had on the floor. I mean, they really only played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They only played seven guys. Igbanu. Well, I mean, they had two guys. One played six minutes. One played three minutes. I'm not counting those. No. They they primarily played seven guys. Igbanu, their center, didn't shoot a three. They did a great job on him, by the way. Yeah. One for three from the floor. Yeah. Yeah. One for three from the floor, five points, only four rebounds for Igbanu, uh, who's what, 13 and seven on the season? Mm hmm. And usually does damage against Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, The other six guys had multiple threes. That's really, really tough for any defense. Now, notice towards the end of the game, they went man. I did. Yeah, they did. And that they slowed them to. down. That slowed them down. They had to, yeah. And they, I don't know that they – did they do that on, against East Carolina? Did they switch defenses in the second half? It didn't seem like they did. I don't think they did really. Yeah, see, I want – If I they was, did, it I was minimal. Yeah, I, I wondered about that because that team had such a rhythm going. I don't know why they didn't just try something different. Um, I'm not sure about that. But they learned the lesson, obviously, and they had to make, they had to make the change uh, Thursday night. Yeah, uh, so, so I, I think that's part of it. It's just that when you're designing a defense, you don't you don't say, "Well, we're going to do everything to prevent the worst case scenario." With the worst case scenario being six guys hitting multiple threes, right? You know, and and Jeffries three for three, Taplin two for five, Carita two for five, Scott three for three, Joiner two for four. Horn, two for three. The worst of those six guys, two of them shot 40%. That was the worst. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, it had, had, had a similar feel to some some past games UC's had. Like, if you go back to way, way back, South Carolina at UC, like I think it was 97, they had they, they, they made almost the same amount, like 16 for 23. And sometimes you can't do anything about it, but keep going. So what, I, I think the rotations weren't great. Um, okay. I think that hurt him some uh, in terms of a guy being late to close out uh, on a kick because Tulsa was doing – they had 17 assists on 19 field goals. Yeah. They were doing a really good job, you know, kicking and and finding the open guy and and finding the weakness in where the help was coming from. Um, That might be something that that going forward – uh, that they they look to adjust a little bit, or they look to just I don't even know if adjust is the word because there were several of them. I thought you're not supposed to be there in that spot. 
you're supposed to be closer to the, you know, you're supposed to be yeah. closer to the shooter. Um, so some of that I think is correctable just from uh, reps, uh, you know, continuing um, to, to, to work as a unit. I think some of it last night also was because your, your lineups were, were jacked up because of yeah. being sick. Yeah, and, I mean and that's you were, true. You were playing a lot of lineups that were not, um, that hadn't seen floor time together regularly, and I think when you do that, that creates some of the rotation issues that I'm talking about. Um, okay. I, I didn't think I thought they got much better as the game went on. I didn't think they moved their feet well in the first half. Um, I think they allowed, and they did it. I thought it was an issue in the second half as well at times, but they didn't foul as much as they did in the first half. But they're letting guys get on their hip. They're letting guys turn the corner on them defensively, and that's a huge staple of, of – uh, that's a huge no-no in Mick Cronin's system. Yeah, and if you looked at Tulsa coming in, they were in the top five in the country in free throw rate. So, of course, and, and especially – with this team, you, you know, you see not being very good at avoiding fouls. The, the game plan, of course, was to keep them off of the foul line if you could. You, you know, Mick always talks about the layups and free throws thing. And I think even though they, they got 11 free throws in the first half, it, I mean, that, that's – I don't even know if that's like on average what they normally get. I mean, if they're fourth in the country, they're getting a ton of free throws. So, overall – 21 is not terrible. Yeah, well, for a team that – I mean, you could look at some of their games. I mean, they've had 30-plus multiple times. And they just – and, and the numbers said that they're not a good three-point shooting team. They just huh. they hit them. So I mean that could have been a game where they were, where you know you see wins comfortably. That being said, something you just mentioned about how they were they were driving and kicking and moving the ball so well and getting good rhythm shots. UC's offense on the other hand was a little, little, little careful, little tentative. Um, just didn't want to take any risks and. You look at that game. I mean, there's six minutes to go, and UC's in the 40s. And I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's making it really difficult. If Kane doesn't go bananas, you know, you end up losing that game by by six or eight or whatever the case is. And and you then everyone's talking about the offense, and and it's just, it 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 just sometimes it's it's hard to to. I understand that basketball works how it works, but. If if you have to be behind in the on the scoreboard to start attacking and playing like aggressive and really trying to, to to make things happen and move the ball and push the ball and all that stuff, it just begs the question like why do you have to be behind on the scoreboard to to play with some action and and some energy on offense? Because Tulsa was sure doing that all night and they got a lot of good looks. It's just um, it, it I'd like to see. Less of that, and I understand the game plan is to, to take care of the ball and to be sound, but I feel like you're you're just you're you're keeping you're you're basically taking yourself out of rhythm by doing that, and it's hard. To, and that's why UC started whatever they were five for twenty something from three. Well, that's that's my opinion. So <coughs> it's it's just it's it's one of those another one of those things that will go in circles if we keep talking about it. But it just I hate the fact that they have to. The Bearcats have to be behind on the scoreboard before it's like urgency, aggression, energy. Let's try to get a basket. Let's try to get fouled. Like, wh- why Why can't you just always do that? I will also say, and I, I don't disagree with you, I will also say uh, I thought Tulsa was really good in their matchup zone. They were solid. You're right. They were confusing. And if you don't, 
you've got to sh- at some point you've got to be able to shoot them out of that. Yeah. And they were packing the lane. It's not as it's not as complex as the 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 matchup that Cincinnati runs, but the principles are all pretty similar. And, and you know, pack the lane, don't allow straight line drives, keep the guards, keep the guy with the ball out of the paint. Um and unless you stretch it, it becomes very difficult. And true. this true. team is going to have to start hitting some threes on the road. Because yeah. if not, whether it's a matchup zone, whether it's man-to-man, whether it's a standard 2-3, whatever defense the other team is in, if you can't stretch the defense on the road, they're going to be in a rock fight on the road from here until the end of the season. And like, this has been the case for years. Yeah. You've got to be able to shoot the ball away from home, and they just haven't been good at it. And and that's on them. I want to. I do want to address something. This is a little bit of a tangent. Okay. But I, it, it's been bothering me the past couple days. I, I get a lot of heat every time there's a loss or, or a situation like East Carolina where I put a lot of heat on the players because I didn't think they played well at East Carolina. But the flip side of that is, Justin, when they win, who do we heap all the praise on? Who have we spent the past 35 minutes talking about? The The players. So if I'm going to heap all the praise on them for executing and and doing the things that need to get done when you win, why would I, in turn, instantly blame the coach every time they lost? Because I'm not heaping a ton of praise on the coach every time they win. Yeah. I, I do it when I feel it's necessary. There are times in wins where I feel like, hey, Mick made this change. Mick adjusted this. That was really good and was a, a critical part in the win. When there's losses and I feel like the coaching staff didn't do this or they stayed in this too long or, you know, there was a, a something with the coaching I feel needs pointed out, I pointed out good and bad. But 90% of the time in the wins, we put all the credit on the players. So when there's losses, the credit has is, is got to kind of fall on them too. Players win games. Players lose games. And that just, that, that, I get accused of that. Like, I somehow am giving Mick all the credit when they win and the players all the blame when they lose. No, we give the credit to the players 90% of the time here, win or loss. Because that's, for me at least, and people can disagree with me, that's fine, but you win or lose games based on how well your players play. And if they don't play well, like they didn't play well at East Carolina, I'm going to point that out. And when they play well, and they, they grind out a win like they did last night, I'm giving them all the credit, the same as I would say, this guy needed to be better in a loss. Keith Williams was fantastic in the first half and was really the main reason that they had a lead. Kane Broom, brilliant in the final stretch of regulation. And then Jared Cumberland was the best player on the floor in overtime. Those players deserve credit when they win. They also, when they don't play well, deserve us to say, hey, this guy right now, for this reason or that reason, is not getting it done. And I don't think it's fair to have that standard of the players get all the credit when they win 
and the coaches get dumped on when they lose. I, well, I don't this, think that's a fair balance. No, but it, and it just have it, that's just how it works with with fans. Because I know I'm just explaining myself. Here, I, on know, that. I know, I know, I know. I I guess all I would say is that when a team loses a game, especially a game that you didn't expect them to lose, it's always why. Give me an explanation. I need to know exactly why they lost. Right. And so the easy thing to do is say, well, look, what it's because of the coaching, because of they, they do this and they do that on the road and they do this. And then, but you don't point that out when they win and say, oh, look, they won because they do that stuff. And they win the majority of the games. Right. So they're doing the same stuff and they win 70, 80% of games overall. So if, if something works three quarters of the time and then one quarter of the time it doesn't work and it's the same thing you were doing, you can make the argument that, yes, it's the players. You could also, but there also is credence to maybe sometimes you need to, you need to do things a little differently in certain situations against certain teams or whatever the case is. But, but still, I, I mean, I, I know where you're coming from and you, do, you definitely do take a lot of that um, from people and – that's just that's just going to come with the territory. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm just I'm just making my point in that I put wins on players. That's my philosophy in in sports. The guys out on the field, the guys out on the court, are largely responsible. Does that mean coaching is irrelevant? No, but in a game to game, night to night situation, guys have to go out and execute. When they execute and win, they get the credit. When they don't execute and lose. They get some of the blame, and, and a good chunk of the blame, because that's just my philosophy on on how I watch sports, how I see the games. Does does that mean I don't see <coughs> the coaches could do this better or could do that better? Yeah, there's some of that, but like you just said, if your philosophy, if your system is successful 75% of the time, it's not like you can say going into a game – you know, prior to ECU, it's not like Mick is going to go, well, I got a feeling tonight's going to be one of those 25% games where we're not successful. So I'm going to do a bunch of stuff different. That's not <laughs> yeah. how it works. No, no, it doesn't. It's not how it works. Yeah. Well, rant over. I just, yeah, I had to well get said, that off well my said. chest. Yeah. Yeah, of course, hey, and it's your right to do that, and it's everyone's right to You're damn come right. back and right. fire at you on the, on the message board. It's my, it's my damn podcast. Yeah. and if, Do whatever if I want. And people are going to get on the message board and fire right back at you. It's just the way – it's always going to be like that. You can go back through every time they've lost the game, at least the four years that I've been covering it, and look at the responses and the threads that come up, and they're always the same. And it's just it, – you know it's coming. <laughs> and you have to read it all because you have to monitor the whole thing. So eventually it wears on you, and, yes, you had to speak out on that. You, so, know, you know how you get fired up like that, Berg? <clears throat> you drink Chase Pountas coffee. Oh, they sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans is shipped fresh and it has the roast date clearly printed on it. So, you know, your coffee is fresh. Uh, get this bird. And I, I, don't, I think I told this story last time, um, but so I go over Christmas morning. We go to my dad's for uh, like, you know, Christmas breakfast. And my stepbrother is there, and he has his first taste of Trace Pountas coffee. And you know what the latest shipment of Trace Pountas coffee became, Berg? What's that? His birthday present. Oh, that's okay. He liked it so much, 
I, I'm, I'm getting to the point, Berg, because I, I've talked about this a lot. The I, I get I get a shipment every two weeks, and my mother-in-law and my stepmother are basically like jockeying for position, and then my wife drinks it as well. So we have three people trying to feed off of one bag of coffee that arrives every two weeks. And now my stepbrother is in on the mix. So I'm going to have to sit them all down. And say, somebody sign up for this thing. You guys are going to have to go to tracepoundtest.com slash coffee. You get free shipping in the U.S. from either, uh, when you order, you get free shipping. And then when you go to checkout, if you enter Bearcats, you get 20% off your subscription. A subscription, they'll send you roasted beans every one, two, or four weeks. You don't have to worry about it. It just shows up at your door. I'm going to have to have a talk with all of them. Like, look, you guys, you, you need to get on a shipment. Support Bearcat Journal, and then you guys can stop fighting over the coffee. Because literally, my mother-in-law, she'll go through a bag like every four or five days. So her waiting a month in between, you know, deliveries of Trace Poundtast coffee is already becoming problematic. And she didn't move here until November. So <clears throat> my, my family is very big on Trace Poundtast coffee, Berg. Uh, we've created a monster within my family uh, <laughs> by getting these these th- this coffee. So you should do it as well, and and start a, uh, a a territory war in your family on who gets the shipments of Trace Poundtest coffee. But yeah, I'm gonna have to sit down with them, Justin, and I'm gonna have to have a talk that you guys are gonna have to subscribe and get some coffee because I can't I can't I'm not your dealer. I'm not your Trace Poundtest <laughs> dealer. <laughs> No, that's an idea, though. Maybe I start charging them for it. <laughs> Get a little scratch on it. Why not? Double, double the yeah, double the uh, double juice. the cost. Yeah, and then when I say, "Hey, you can get it for half price plus twenty percent off by entering Bearcats at checkout," when you go to tracepoundhouse.com slash coffee t r e s p o n t a s dot com slash coffee. All right. Um, what else you got on Tulsa? Anything else? Nah, man. I think we covered it all. Holy now we crap, got Jalen Adams. Yeah, the Huskies come to town. Um, they're starting to get rolling a little bit. Um, they just their guard play is really good. Their bigs are so bad. I know. I know you're you're probably going to do most of your work scouting them today, but you've done a little bit already. Um, what are you seeing from UConn? Uh, Jalen Adams, obviously, Tariq Gilbert is playing well. Christian Vital uh, is playing well. They're they're solid on the perimeter, uh, but Danny Hurley on the interior is just struggling right now. Yeah, they, I was just watching some of their their game against uh, Central Florida, and the way that their roster is constructed, they have very small guards, and then they have not very versatile bigs. So defensively, you can't switch. And Danny Hurley's always been like a get up in their shorts, man to man guy, right? I mean, that's always been his absolutely his calling card. And so, you know, that's really what they do. They 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 fight through screens, but at the end of the day, they start six two, six two, and pretty much I think all their guards are about six one, six two. So you can shoot over them, you can post them up if you're if you have the, the size advantage, which I imagine probably see Keith Williams get a couple of those touches like eight ten feet away against whoever's checking him. And 
So they're just defensively, they're just def- they, they, they just don't quite have the personnel to be to be dominant or at least consistent. And so you know they're they're like barely in the top 100 on Ken Palm and that. And you, you look back to UConn when they were good. I mean they were they were a top 20 defense almost every time. Um, no, I mean they number, were a threat. Number one in block shots, like yeah, th- yeah. ten years in a row. Right. So they're they're not blocking a ton of shots. Um, they foul way too much. And that's probably because they're getting uh, getting used to like getting up in people's shorts. I mean, last year they just didn't try, so now all of a sudden they're trying, and they're not able to rein back like how to be sound and be aggressive. So they're struggling with that. They also have not finished off a lot of defensive possessions with the rebound, and part of that is the small guards, and part of that is that their bigs can't rebound outside of their areas. They don't really have a four man that's like a modern day four man. Tyler Polly's shooting. He's, he's like 6'8". He's shooting like 35% from three, which is okay. Not a big threat. He's not like a guy that's going to get you 15 or 20. Like they've had – they, UConn's always had like that that like 6'7", 6'8", wing that can play the four, that can do a ton of stuff. And they just – they don't have it. They don't really have a guy they can dump it into down low for buckets. So really it's all on Jalen Adams and all three Gilbert, who the Bearcats have not seen yet. Um very, very talented guard, and then Christian Vital. So, the, overall, they're shooting the three ball pretty well. I mean, they, they sucked at shooting last year, and this year they're, they're making a much higher percentage from three, but defensively they're inconsistent, and then offensively they don't have a whole lot of different things they can do. They're pretty much just, like, on the perimeter, trying to set up driving lanes, trying to set up threes, no post option, just taking their bigs and trying to, like, get in the way and, you know, set screens and stuff. And so – they're just they're they're just an average team at this point, and they they played well enough to beat Syracuse, um, the old chest bump game, and then the night the next night they got blown out of the gym, and they really haven't beaten anybody um, that's been you know that great ever since. Like SMU they they took care of last night at home. They they made they shot the ball well. They got out to a big lead and beat them. So they're not I don't know they're dangerous because they're guards, but they're just their consistency from possession to possession is lacking. Yeah, and that's something Danny will fix. And not having bigs that are versatile, I think, is really where this is kind of a tougher challenge than maybe he expected in year one, uh, than maybe I expected in year one. Uh, because, I, you know, with him, the system's not all that dissimilar to Mick. And his personality is not all that different from Mick. You you talk about fiery on the sidelines. <laughs> Go watch a couple videos of Danny Hurley throwing a temper tantrum. They are <laughs> epic. And epic. very left-handed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the most left-handed person on the earth. <laughs> um I, I'm guessing at some point he's gonna seek me out pregame and grill me about Zach Taylor. Oh god. It's going. It's going to happen. I can almost weirdest, guarantee it. It's the weirdest media thing that's probably ever happened. <laughs> Actually, he's probably going to seek out Dan Horde. Yeah, he'll start there. Yeah, and then he'll. If come he doesn't to me. get what he needs from there, he'll find you. Yeah, um, but you know they're just not there yet, and they need a couple recruiting classes to really get to where he wants to be for him to shape that roster properly. Um, but they're dangerous. I mean, they're probably licking their chops watching UC's three-point defense on tape the last two games. Because right now, 
the reality is you're going to get some some looks. And if you can get in a rhythm off of those looks you get early, you can go nine for 11 in the second half. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> that was something. I still. Yeah, so I, I, was, I was thinking about it when I was just looking at it. I was like, the last couple games, you, you could say you were surprised that that East Carolina and, and Tulsa shot so well. But if, if UConn hits them, it's not going to be a surprise because their percentages are, are good. Yeah. Um, hopefully the, the home thing will, will, will factor in, uh, with UC not being on the road, because that's the other thing we didn't talk about. Teams in this league smell a little blood in the water with, with this version of the Bearcats coming into their house. They've doled out a lot of pain over the last two years. They led the country in scoring margin last year, and a lot of that was was beating the crap out of teams in this league. Oh, yeah. Bad. 40-point wins. Right. Memphis. Yeah. There's a lot of teams in this league licking their chops going, ooh, they ain't so tough now. <laughs> but maybe last night helped them. Well, you're going yeah. to you're have to prove otherwise. Right, of course. But that's I think that's where a lot of the confidence you're seeing the, what they're playing against on the road. Teams are saying, we got a chance to beat these guys this year. Where that hasn't really been the case for a couple seasons. But I digress. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it, UConn's going to be a, a difficult one. Um, I think at home you should be able to handle them 10, 12 points. Have you, see, have you seen a line? I don't know. Well, usually if you, if you look at the Ken Palm, it's pretty close to – like whatever their predictor is. So if if you pull up UConn, it says that it feels like they're yeah ten points is what Ken Palm feels like. So the line will probably be somewhere between eight and ten. And look, both teams are coming off a, a late night game on Thursday night, and you see obviously health wise is not where you'd want them to be. Was UConn at home last night? Yeah, they were at home. Yeah, they were at home. So you know both teams have to have to travel and yeah. But but at least you know Cincinnati's playing in their home gym, so you would think that would help them with their energy. And uh, if they're not all really still come, throwing yeah. up, right? It's really just going to come down to if if Cincinnati can get get back to playing Bearcat defense. This just these last two games, the three point line has has killed them. And like Mick has always said, that's the equalizer in college basketball. The teams that aren't as good as you, if they outshoot you from the three point line, and Tulsa did it, and so did East Carolina, it makes it difficult, and more more so when you're playing away from home. So if UC gets back to the their shooting percentages at home, guys like Jennifer, um, then they can they, they should be able to over forty minutes. You think they'd be able to, to do enough to win? You, you know, if you're a Bearcat fan, of course you're you're gonna you're gonna be worried about Jalen Adams every time the ball is anywhere near him. The guy just it seems like every time he shoots it, it's going in, and regardless of whether it's a three or a runner or layup or whatever. And then the, the new element is, is is Gilbert, who's been hurt his first couple of years. Uh, up there and, and he was a was he a five-star I know he was a, he was a yeah I think he yeah. was yeah I mean he he's 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 quick he can shoot Very quick he, he he's he's a typical UConn guard you know they, they've had a million of these guys so now Jalen's got a, somebody out there with him and then you throw in the fact that Vital has taken his game he was only a three-star but he's probably playing like a four-star at this point so you've got some help for Jalen Adams so you can't put everybody on him and that's what UC has been able to do the last couple years he hadn't had any help so now he has help so there's the concern but really if you take care of the stuff that you're supposed to take care of 
defense rebounding, those types of things, and just make it tough on them. Don't give them second chances and just say, all right, if you're going to hit tough shots for 40 minutes and beat us, then that's what's going to have to happen. This is one I think you need Justin Jennifer healthy. Yeah. I think he can stay in front of Gilbert or Adams uh, better than anybody else on the roster. Right. So he didn't practice all week. He only played 13 minutes last night. He's only got 36 hours basically to get back to where he needs to be. But um, if he's only out there 10, 15 minutes on Saturday night, I think that's a big problem. Yeah, unless Kane plays like he did on Thursday night. Yeah, that, because, well, that, because regardless of because I understand where Jennifer's value is on the defensive end, but you know Kane can make up for some of that with getting some some steals. He gets a few more steals, but yeah, I mean he he's just he's so steadying and and important to 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 the team. I mean I'm not look don't construe this as I think that Kane should be playing way you're more. You're turning on Justin Jennifer. You are no, turning. Not. You are turning on Justin Jennifer. No. And his testicles. Like, yeah. <laughs> his poor that, testicles. I wonder, if that, I wonder if that lingering effect, I mean, maybe, he's, <laughs> maybe that's why he, but, but no, I think, I think it's a home road thing is really what it comes down to. I mean, that's what it looks like, but regardless, he, yeah, he needs to be able to play more than 13 and he shoots the ball. I mean, Hey, a guy that shoots almost 50% from three in fifth third arena, probably want him on the floor. Probably want him to stretch the floor a little bit and to hit a couple of them. Yeah. And like I said, I just think there's, there's a balance Mick Cronin has to find in this perimeter rotation. And the more guys that start playing well, the tougher the audience is going to be uh, in, in finding that perfect balance. So, you know, it's going to be interesting, but that's on him. You know, that's that's what coaches get paid for, to to make those decisions and to come up with the right way to utilize – um, you know the, the the guys in the right way and to maximize their talents. So, by the way, by the way, we we briefly touched on this about maybe twenty five minutes ago. But can we just give a couple more minutes to to what Trayvon Scott did last night? He was incredible to 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 get nine rebounds. He hit jumpers. He took the ball to the hole on Daquan Jeffries and scored. He was sick as hell. He, you know, he gets you nine boards. He gets you the two steals. That steal on the inbounds play. Towards the end, didn't lead to a basket, but it was still impressive. Yeah, and... that right after the BS fifth foul on Keith Williams, where he got a steal and the guy fouled him again. Yeah, bad. And the ball was off of yeah, and the ball was off of Daquan Jeffries, not Logan Johnson on that replay. Logan didn't even come clear. close to touching it. Seemed pretty clear. His hand pretty... was two feet from the ball. Yeah, it looked like a, a hand touched the ball, and it, it was clearly not Logan's because they're not the same. Because he tone. doesn't have go-go gadget arms. Yeah, he was a foot away from it. There's no yeah. way. To, oh, the yeah, the officiating but, in this league stinks. I know, but either way, let's. I was good though. Is, I didn't. I didn't rail on the officiating last night because that was going to be another one. You got to deal with it. You got to find a way to overcome. You got to find a way to win. Last night they did it. Yeah. Because they didn't, Kane Grimm said, "I got this." Yeah, but but yeah, but I mean, Scott's play was. I mean, with with, with how bad he was feeling, according to what the sources said, and he, he and what Mick said after the game, that was tremendous. That was a tremendous effort that his team needed, and it's not going to get the headlines because of what Kane did, what Jaron did in overtime, and what Trevor did, what Keith did in the first half. But over the but to be able to give his team thirty-one minutes up front, 
And really, if you look at look at um, Tulsa, now they're not a great offensive rebounding team by any stretch, but they, they only got like six or seven. So he was he was key on that. He had like you know, seven or eight defensive boards. Yeah, they had like seven or eight. He had like a bunch of defensive rebounds that were key. It's seven so, defensive rebounds. They missed, what, 27 shots and only got six offensive six. rebounds. Six, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, they're not – they're like 300 millionth in that stat anyway. But at home, you figured, you know, they put a little more effort into it. But either way, he was – he was he was kind of like the you – know, they always say like the unsung hero or however you want to say it. But like – The glue. He, he, the glue yeah, guy. He won't, exactly. He won't get much credit, I don't think – from from that game, but if you ask the coaching staff, they would probably tell you that um, what he did was was one of the most important things for the team, just to keep them afloat throughout the course of that that first forty minutes. Yeah. Before we get out of here, once again, all as always, thanks to the fine folks at Taft's Brewporium, Taft's Ale House for sponsoring the BCJ podcast. They are back on for January. Uh, still uh, aiming towards. Uh, I'll try to nail that down today. Uh, and let you guys know uh, going into next week, uh, having a Saturday watch party next Saturday for the game at Wichita State. Uh, we've we've had some pretty good success watching road games at Tasperporium outside of UCF. Uh, that that wasn't so good. Yeah, it wasn't uh, a matter where you watched that game. No, you you could have watched that game on the moon, and and the outcome was going to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, great beer, great pizza at the Brewporium. Uh, if you go to the Ale House, I highly recommend the tri-tip steak sandwiches. Uh, I, I'm a big tri- smoked tri-tip steak guy. Uh, generally a California thing, but Taft's is doing it here in Ohio, here in Cincinnati, and they are excellent. And great beer. Uh, very, very good beer at Taft's Brewporium and at Taft's Ale House. So thanks to them again for coming back on as a sponsor of the BCJ podcast here in January. Closing thoughts, Berg? Jalen Adams. Still there. I'm tired of him. I don't want to watch him play against UC tomorrow night, but <laughs> we have to. Yeah, I mean, that's a guy, that's one of those, like, 15 years in college guys uh, that you're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Jaylen, well, they had to de- still yeah. at UConn? Well, How UConn he- fans had to deal with Gary Clark for that many yeah. years, and I'm oh. sure they felt the same way, so I guess Cincinnati fans have to deal with one Actually, more year of magnified, Adams. magnified because the past two years – Three years, the Huskies struggled mightily with the Bearcats, and it was in large part to number eleven. Mm-hmm. So they might have they might have actually thrown a party bigger than the Kevin Ollie's fired party. They might have actually thrown a Gary Clark is gone party. <laughs> um, yeah, and and but but one other thing for tomorrow night would be UConn needs this game more than any game probably. I mean, at least at this point in the season because they. They're not. They're nowhere near the bubble at this point. But if you get a road win against Cincinnati, and then you say, "Oh well, they beat Syracuse neutral," and all of their losses are really not terrible. I know. I know the USF game looks bad and all that stuff. But like, if you replace that with a win at Cincinnati, now they're like trending back towards like eh, they might have a chance. So right. this is kind of like yeah. This is like if they don't get this, then it's going to be really difficult to get anywhere near the discussion. So. I'm sure they're aware of that, and not that those types of things don't mean a whole lot. Look, both teams are trying to win. It's not going to make a big deal, make a big deal either way. But it's just something that they have like a little extra juice for. Yeah, and uh, in closing, I will just say, thank God we're not talking about a loss today. Mm-hmm. I don't imagine know if, the message board oh, today. Oh man, 
<laughs> it was headed in that direction for about two hours last night. Oh my god! It was headed in that direction. You would have had to shut the site down for a couple hours just to like see. I had to just shut my computer down for a couple hours. <laughs> is what was going to happen if they didn't win that game. Um, fortunately, they did, and and gutty, gutty, gutty performance by a team that wasn't feeling well and uh, went on the road and withstood a barrage, uh, a team shooting. How do you shoot 60.9% from three and 41% from the floor when the three-point shots are included in the field goal percentage? You go 0 for 11 on layups. (laughs) That's one of the more banana land stats I think you'll ever see. But we're talking about a win. And uh, the white death is coming, so be careful on your way to Fifth Third Arena tomorrow. I saw they just bumped up the prediction. Five to eight inches of snow Saturday in Cincinnati. Mm. So, driving around in Clifton, I'm sure, is going to be delightful. As long as they're prepared, which they should be. They should, it's yeah. Enough, it's, this is enough time for them to get ready for this. They've there's, been talking there, about it all week. Yeah, there's enough warning. Hopefully everything will uh, will operate smoothly, but when you get you know when you get a couple inches of snow an hour or whatever it's going to be, it can be a little bit tough. Hopefully, hopefully it comes early, and then you know by five six o'clock they've got things mostly under control and cleared off. And <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the path in and out of uh, Fifth Third Arena is not too bad. Not that it sounds like it, but luckily I'm 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 on the mend, starting to feel a little bit better. I anticipate my presence at Fifth Third Arena tomorrow night, and uh, Berg, I will see you there. Yes, sir. He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. Thanks for tuning in. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>